When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the post-IBJJF World's Edition of the Grappling Bulletin Podcast. A day later than usual because myself and Corey were flying back from Long Beach, California after a wild. And I would say, I would go so far as to say, a wonderful weekend back in the Walter Pyramid. It was a fun one, right? Yeah, one of the best worlds that I can remember happening in a while. Uh, purely because of the, the, the value of the competitors, right? The, the quality of the competitors and the level at which they fought. Yeah, that, that, is a, that is a great assessment. I think you're right. The, the, the level of competition was extremely high. The quality of the matches was very, very high. And I think that everybody can agree that this was one of the most interesting, one of the most intriguing world championships for a very long time for many, many reasons. And as you can see today, the sidebar kind of, we're going to start off with history made at the IBJJF World Championships because... It was not just one or two sort of notable instances. There was a lot of things going on in the World Championships this year. And the best thing for us to do is to just dive straight in. Because the biggest story among a World Championships full of very, very big stories was that, of course, Mika Galvao. Mika Galvao, the mauler from Manaus, <laughs> became the youngest black belt champion in IBJJF World Championship history. Yeah, incredible performance from Mika Galvao, who, you know, we, we've been watching him uh, kind of come up through the ranks. He, he looked great at Brasileiros, but this was another level for Mika. He ended up beating uh, the pre, uh, a former world champion, Mateus Gabriel. Do excuse us for the, the, the wrong graphics at the bottom of the screen at the moment. It's uh, from last week's show. I do apologize. But yes, Mika Galvao came out, and he, he did... Not necessarily the impossible, not necessarily the unthinkable, but what, what Mika did was really special because this was not an easy bracket to win. Oh, and not. he was one of the best names among the bracket. That's absolutely without a doubt. You know, Mika was one of the, 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 the biggest names going into a bracket loaded. And, and people were saying that this was the most competitive lightweight division ever because you didn't have guys like Lucas Leprium in the mix who have been dominated for so long, right? Yeah, it was wide open for, for kind of interpretation, let's say. Tyrosolo being uh, not, not the least of the scary names in that bracket for Mika, uh, but Mika absolutely delivered. Um, like I said, taking out Mateus Gabriel uh, and, and moving his way up the bracket through a bunch of tough names at that Tyrosolo match just shocked and amazed me in the best way possible. So let's just talk about that quickly because this, uh, this rivalry between... Mika Galvao and Ty Brotolo is far from over. You know, they're 18 and 19 years of age, respect, respectively. That Mika, 18 years of age, as we said, claimed that, that title as the youngest IBJJF world champion in history. And they weren't even the top-seeded competitors. <laughs> and yet they both made it out of their respective sides of the brackets. And they had this epic showdown in the final. Of course, just cast your mind back to September last year when... 
they faced off in the WNO Championships, the final, right? And that that was a kind of a contentious match. It was a, it was a little bit more cagey, right? But both guys, it looked like were uh, planning for each other's games. Uh, but in this one, they let it all out, and uh, Mika Mika got the better. He ended up taking taking ties back, which very few people have ever been able to do. So they've been competing against each other since they were little kids. Little kids. We have a great photo on our website if you go and check it out of them as orange belts together kind of side by side. You know, they've been literally competing against each other that long. They came up through the ranks together. They had epic showdowns at pretty much, you know, color belts, blue belt. Then they circled back around and they faced off each other after a very long layoff from like 2019 to uh, 2021. And uh, they had the epic match at who's number one championships. Well, that last match was, of course, no gi. And I feel like the gi was a huge factor in the match and, and, and definitely a factor in Mika's win here because... Tyro Tolo had most recently competed on one championship against Gary Tonin in a Nogi match. What had he been doing? But he'd been training Nogi as part of that camp. And Andre Galval told me that he just threw his gi on and was like, yeah, full send. Just jump into world championships. Just going to see what happens. And he makes it into the final against Mika. And honestly, you can you can kind of see that in the style the style of game Tyra Solo played, right? It's it's not unusual for him to kind of blend styles, but pulling down on all of his opponent's head, really using that aggressive Otto style snap down, um, and not a whole lot of gi techniques, gi specific techniques from Ty. Um, but his his game is clearly well rounded. Or, or, um, his game is clearly capable. Either way, right? Gi or no gi, he can he can kind of make his game work. Uh, but Mika seemed to have been dialed in to what what Ty was going to do here, and, and used it to, as we're watching here, uh, get on the attack and, and get behind Ty and, and really pull it off. Yeah, th- this was this was the moment. This was the the moment that won him the match. You know, he managed to use a. It wasn't a really a traditional sweep either. You know, he he managed to get kind of Ruotolo uh, into a scramble, and he sort of jumped kind of onto the back close guard and managed to take them down to the mat. And then he was on the back and he was hunting after that choke, and and that's what put him into the uh, the winning position. So he's there. You know, he's got the uh, he's got the the you know the choke around the neck, and ultimately that scored him the points, and he rose to the top of the podium. I'll talk a little bit about how he got there though, because. I would say that Ruotolo had the tough side of the bracket. Ruotolo had to go through some really, really tough guys. He had to go through his first match, Jonathan Alves. Then he had to beat Levi Jones-Leary, Pan and European champion in the quarterfinal. He outpointed the world silver medalist Lucas Valente in the semifinal. That put him on the collision course with Mika. But Mika's, Mika's run was equally impressive. His first match was against a very, very cagey, Paulo Costa from Atos. Very good black belt, underrated, sort of underappreciated, but tough. His second match submitted the little known Sergio Antonio. And then the quarterfinal was actually against Mateus Gabriel, who closed out the lightweight division last year with Renato Canuto. And the 2019 champion. In featherweight division, yeah. That was a that was an interesting one because that was an old Manaus encounter mm-hmm. as well, right? Mateus Gabriel's from Manaus too. Watching that match, you could definitely see. <laughs> you know, you could definitely see the the Manaus style come out. And then Galvao submitted Jonathan Gracie, also of Atos, Ty's teammate in his semifinal. So he had a slightly better seed due to the fact that he won the Brazilian national championships. But uh, but Mika was still outside the top five seeded grapplers, and you know neither of them had an easy run into the final. But I think for me. It goes to show that the future of jiu-jitsu is in good hands because when you have two teenagers, two, and I'm not sure if this has ever happened before, rookie 
black belts facing off against each other in the final of the black belt divisions at the world championships, that says to me that the future of jiu-jitsu is in good hands. Yeah, and, and one thing about these two rookies is that there's kind of an asterisk along the tag rookie for them, right? They've been competing in professional events at the highest level for several years now. So um, that, that, that is, it does kind of bring them, uh, make them the cream of the crop, but that's kind of the, the norm for rookies at this point, right? Yeah, they're coming fully formed. They, uh, they're just, they're on another level, really. Are the, the evolution of jujitsu has been so good over the last couple of years that these teenagers are coming in and they're rewriting what's possible within the realm of jujitsu. Uh, for me, I think that they, they, not only are they both incredible competitors, I think that they also uh, are great role models. They're really, really good inspiration for up and coming competitors and even sort of competitors who have been around for a while, I think that they would do well to look at Mika and Tai and see that this is possible. This is what is possible within, within jiu-jitsu. And uh, this is definitely the not, not the last time that we've seen them compete against each other, right? We're definitely going to see this again one way or another. Yeah, I mean, uh, they're uh, both in for ADCC, and even though they're in different divisions, uh, I, I, could see, I could see a world where in 2023, 2024, for example, they're in the same division. Well, we're going to uh, kick it on. We have a, a quick interview, post-match interview with Galvao, literally seconds off after stepping off the podium. Let's hear what he had to say. Uh, Tana is a very tough guy. Of course, uh, I wanted to do meet away this year, but the thing is, uh, I'm still an 18-year-old. Sure I wanted to have uh, an experience on as many divisions as possible. I wanted to fight as many fighters as possible. And I wanted to fight on lightweight because probably I won't be able to make this weight again next year. Uh, I'm still growing, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm still like uh, pretty far from what I think uh, the, the, the best version, version of myself would be. I still need to learn a lot, I have to get a lot of experience. And uh, I, I, I'm not running for anyone. I know that had many comments saying, oh, Mika ran from middleweight. But the thing is, the person I lost last time was on a lightweight. The two guys that beat me, Gi and Nogi, were on lightweight, which was Jonathan Alves and uh, Tyroto. I wanted to have a match with them because probably I'm not going to be able next year to make the weight again. So I'm just making the best of it. You know, I love fighting. I love to fight. I love to, to, to have experience, good experience with as many fighters as possible. And I couldn't lose the opportunity to do lightweight this year. It was kind of hard to make the weight, but I'm pretty happy with all the effort that I had. And yeah, next year I'm probably going to be doing middleweight or medium heavy. Uh, we'll see how much I can grow. Now we're just going to focus on ADC. This one here is fast. Now let's look into the future. Wow, I gotta say that is exciting. That is so exciting that uh, that after capturing gold at lightweight, Mika's already thinking ahead to next year, and he's already thinking going up in weight and taking on greater challenges. I love that. I love that. Let's uh, let's move on because there are many stories to talk about, and we only have so much time. So, uh, one of the other big stories, of course, from the uh, the World Championships is that that Merigali made history. Made history how by becoming the absolute champion for the first time in his career. That, that was something that he had been seeking for a very long time. And it didn't come easily. And there was something of a redemption story built into that as well. Why don't you break it down, Corey? Yeah, uh, Nicholas Mergali in the, in the very first day had all submissions, which incredibly impressive given uh, the, the load of talent he had both in the absolute division and in his weight class. Uh, he was injured in the semifinal 
against Felipe Andrew um, and still stuck it out, right? He lost in the super in the super heavyweight final to teammate Eric Muniz, but ended up turning it around in the final and, and battled through. I think he had his eyes set on that medal um, and, and the ring and, uh, and pushed through and, and, and won his world championship. Well, it was a, it was a primary objective for Merigali to go home with the absolute gold medal given what happened at the last World Championships. Let's not forget what happened there. And if you have forgotten, let me remind you. Because there was a little incident where Murigali in uh, the ultra heavyweight semifinal, he flipped off a member of the crowd, was retroactively disqualified for unsportsmanlike conduct, and was ejected from the tournament, which left him out of the running. And Felipe Pena ended up taking the gold medal in the absolute division by default. Murigali was furious about that, sickened, you know, hit him hard. He obviously felt that the opportunity slipped through his fingers. So he came back, and that was his ultimate goal. Of course, he wants gold in every division he enters. But he really, really wanted the absolute gold, I think, more than anything. Yeah, it, it was so close to it last year, right? He was, And really, looking at a, a, a rematch that we all wanted to see, we didn't get to see that match. Um, but... Yeah, he was not going to let this one sli- slip away again. Let's roll some highlights of Marigali as we're talking here, because you mentioned about the uh, you mentioned about the the, the submissions and uh, going into day two, he was a hundred percent submission rate, and then he hit a submission against Felipe Andrew as well. I don't think we'll see that in this video, but but Marigali, <laughs> they also they didn't make it easy for him, put him up against the <laughs> the giant Saifumini from France from GF team hit this famous or infamous loop choke at this point, and then uh, went on a match with Wallace Costa, also of GF team. He, man, he had some big boys to go up against. Yeah, the uh, both divisions, right? The absolute division and, of course, the super heavyweight division. He It looked like he had a very difficult side of the bracket, a very taxing side of the bracket, and wouldn't be surprised if that added to the rib injury he faced. Yeah, apparently the rib injury was something that he picked up a couple of weeks ago. And there were question marks over whether he would even be able to compete at the World Championships. He did his best, sucked it up. And still, if this is Marigali on a bad day, (laughs) on a bad day, and yet he is choking people and ripping their arms off, I just think that is absolutely phenomenal. It speaks volumes about his ability. I love this sequence as well. A lot of people, they kind of fall off this position. They they lose it, but... uh, but Marigali, man, he was he was on that arm. Watch this sequence here. Talk us through it, Corey. Yeah, you know, I, uh, Marigali has the arm locked up already, and he's, he's passing his way through the arm. One thing that uh, ca- caught my attention is a lot of these positions reminded me not not just this arm attack, but a lot of the positions we saw Marigali in are very reminiscent of uh, Gordon Ryan style attacks, right? And and the the, the style of jujitsu that John Donaher famously coaches, the the patience, the the nuance of, of each position, and the the real detail oriented way he progressed through uh, specifically this this arm attack but through a lot of the positions look at this turn over here the way that Felipe Andrew is trying to stay belly down and, and and not get rolled over and yet the use of the grabbing the leg in rolling Andrew over the top and the tightness with which he has the clamp on the arm in this Juji Gatami style <laughs> arm bar it's, uh, it's something really special. And this is actually the, the first of two submission wins over Felipe Andrew in the same weekend. Because mm-hmm. he also, this is the absolute division, he also beat Felipe Andrew in the semifinal of the super heavyweight division on day two as well. So, Merigali, there is, uh, it still feels like this somewhat unfinished business though. Because he 
made it to the top of the podium in the absolute division. We have a video of that we can play. And he managed to beat his teammate Eric Muniz, battled through injury, but he lost the weight division. And I think that Muragali wasn't just looking for absolute gold. He wanted double gold. That was the goal, right? He's done the absolute division before, came close, hit the bronze medal a couple times in the past. He's a, now, he's a three-time IBJJF world champion because he took gold twice before in the super heavyweight divisions and then here in the super, weight, super heavyweight division again and has the silver medal in the, uh, in the, in the excuse me, he has gold in the absolute and silver in the super heavyweight. So he wants gold across the board. He does. And you spoke to Marigali. He, uh, we have a few words. Let's play this little interview with Marigali to hear what he said when he came off the podium. Nicholas Marigali, you've been after that ring for a long time. Yeah. How does it feel to finally wear it? Uh, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Uh, I'm a little lost yet. Uh, but it's very important for me. So today, I had some my hip in- injured. Uh, ten days ago, it was fucking hard to keep the mind in the zone to fight. Yesterday, uh, as I was taking a lot of drugs, I got to perform well. But today, after my first fight against Felipe, uh, my rib climbed up over uh, the injury again. And it's fucking tough, man. Uh, I, I was waiting the, the absolute moment, uh, the, the absolute final, uh, since I started to train Jiu-Jitsu. And today we realize a dream, so I'm like, as I said in the beginning, I'm a little lost, but I know that after a couple minutes rest a little, I can like enjoy the title. So that's not exactly the face of a triumph, triumphant man right there. He, it, it almost seems like there's a bittersweet moment that even though he battled through the injury and even though he got the gold medal around his neck, doesn't seem satisfied. Yeah, and I think he, he wanted to do not just the double gold, but he also wanted to win every match by submission in the dominant fashion that he had started um, even before Worlds at Brazilian Nationals, right? He, right? He'd started that run of submitting everybody that stood in front of him, and he continued that in day one and just couldn't keep that pace in day two because of his injury. Well, still walked out of the pyramid as the champion. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there were questions about Mirigali's, uh next moves after the last World Championships, whether he would stick around in the gi or not. Well, he's back into uh, back in the mix, and I don't think he's going anywhere. Let's move on, shall we? Because there's lots of uh, stories to, uh, to go on through. And I want to talk about the double gold performance of Gabby Pisania, because this is a signal to me, as if we didn't already know. The signs were already there. But we are entering the Gabby Pisania era. This, for me, is just undoubted right now. She is, and for my money, the number one woman in the world. And just looking absolutely untouchable. I'm so impressed with her performances lately. And I am calling it now. That I feel that Gabby Pisania will become the Bouchesha of women's jiu-jitsu. And what does that mean? That means that she's going to turn up to the pyramid and basically walk away with double gold for as long as she wants to. Because she's got a a, a sort of a similar sort of set of attributes to that great champion himself, Marcus Bouchesha, right? 
Yeah, absolutely, and and she is uh, a dominant force no matter no matter where she goes, top top position, bottom position. Uh, she she enforces her game no matter who it is that's up against her. She had Amy Campo here in the absolute final. Uh, it was a it was a close match, but based on the way that Gabby plays, we can assume that next time she runs into Amy, it will be a little bit more uh, Gabby sided, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, um, that was Gabby's toughest match of the weekend as well, sure. which I thought was really impressive and. It, it says a lot about Amy Campo and her skills to make it through as a rookie back belt to the silver medal of the IBJJF World Championship podium. But, oh, the screen seems to have frozen. Sorry about that. But I feel like the similarities between Gabby and Pisanya, uh, Gabby Pisanya and Bouchesha, what are they? Well, it's that same combination of size, athleticism, technique, and competition experience. Because she is a super heavyweight competitor. She's the largest. She's in the heaviest weight class, just like Bouchesha was in the ultra heavyweight. The athleticism is absolutely on display. She's got really long legs, very strong, very powerful upper body as well, is able to play on top and bottom, moves fantastically, not slow at all, very explosive when she needs to be. Technically brilliant. She plays everything, 50-50 lapels when necessary, but she's also super happy to just collar drag your face into the floor and then choke you from the back. And then the competition experience. She's been active since she was a little kid, again, coming up through the ranks, and that is why she's arrived at such a young age. She's already fully formed. She's really, too, a master strategist because of her experience in the competition game, right? She uh, she knows when she's up. She knows when she's down. She knows when she has to score. Um, and the mistakes she's made, I, I think, you know, maybe the, the Pans match from last year where she made a tiny mistake, she'll never make that mistake again. So I feel that there's no guarantee, of course, that she's going to go unbeaten for as long as Bouchesha did in the World Championships. But... I think it's hard to see who's going to deny her this position because her closest challenger and her most frequent opponent is Yara Suarez of DreamArt, and they go back and forth all the time. But Gabby comes out on top more often than Yara, and it's always by the slimmest of margins. So you look at it, and the people who are out there, there are few opponents who can test her. Those that come close really succeed. And if she ever loses, it's by the smallest of margins. She's that good, right? So I don't see anybody coming through the ranks right now. And it's, it's, it's great to see people like Amy Campo come in and make it interesting. Take her to a decision, win. But I feel like the next time that match goes ahead, it's going to look very different. Absolutely. And, and Gabby, to, to that point, Gabby has not lost in 40 consecutive matches now. I almost feel like Gabby is at a risk here that she could become a victim of her own success. Because what will happen is that she's so good, and there's a lack of depth in the super heavyweight division. She's probably going to just rule that easily for however long she wants to keep competing. But the absolute division, I wouldn't be surprised if people are scared to sign up, knowing that she's there. Because just like when Bouchesh used to sign up, people are like, well, man... I guess Bouchesh is going home champion. It's for the rest of us to figure out who's taking the silver medal. One thing I hope for is that that inspires more of these Amy Campo types to come in, right? Because Amy yeah. Campo, rookie black belt, she had never had the opportunity before to enter the black belt absolute division. This was her very first one. Um, and she climbed all the way to the silver medal, which, you know, con- uh, congratulations to her. And it was a, a great run. Um, but I'm hoping that we see 
new and, and different challengers who are hoping to maybe make their mark uh, because Gabby is such a dominant force up there. So what did she tell you after uh, after the match? You uh, you interviewed her and she came off the podium. And what did she have to so say? So really interesting that, that Gabby has been uh, a gi talent forever, but she is looking to uh, to uh, switch to no gi or not switch to, but but add no gi to her uh, to her repertoire and uh, take on no gi world. So looking forward to that. That'll be a really interesting showing from Gabby. Now notice that she said nogi worlds and she didn't say adcc i think and this is just my kind of my opinion but i think the adcc is just too soon for her because that goes down in september while she could theoretically if she said she wanted to do it they need bodies for that heavyweight division in the in the adcc she could probably get an invite but i just think it's too soon and i think that's very smart that if she waits two years, that if she spends that time in getting up to grips with the modern no-gi game and competing and testing it out at the IBJJF World Championships, where you can, of course, use heel hooks and other attacks, I think she could turn up at ADCC in two years' time and she could win. Yeah, and we, we, might, get it, we might, with Gabby in the no-gi rule set, see some things that we haven't seen from her, right? Not just heel hooks, but also wrestling. Who knows? But it's going to be a lot of fun finding out, that's for sure. Gabby Pisania. Huge performance. Speaking of huge performances, oh man, I want to talk about the next guy on the list. I want to talk about Leandro Lowe because Leandro Lowe is still in the game. Now, this guy, man, wow, just wow. She, excuse me, he, he is, he just can't, you just can't keep a good man down. And, you know, Leandro Lowe is a fan favorite for a good reason, right? He's a showman. Big charisma, not necessarily in the way he talks or in his social media presence. It's about his, what he does on the mat that counts. And man, I don't think that there was a person on the, you know, sat in this seat when Leandro won gold on Sat on Sunday. No, there there hardly ever is. But I think especially at this turnaround, Leandro looked uh, looked more athletic, more game than he has in in quite a while. Uh, he, he was really. Uh, he brought that old Leandro heat that we've been kind of looking and waiting for. So this is something really, really special as well because 2022 World Championships, Leandro takes gold exactly 10 years after capturing his first IBJJF World Championship gold medal, 2012 in the lightweight division. And he returns here in this medium heavyweight division, stacked medium heavyweight division. Low was a high seed but by no means the favorite. And yet he comes through, he, he's almost an underdog performance. He battles through and he gets the gold medal. Yeah, and, and one thing about this, you know, we're talking about the history being made at the World Championships. Uh, Leandro Lowe is the fourth male in history to win eight or more titles. The others, Buchacha, Bruno Moffasini, and Hodger Gracie. Oh, so man, that, that is, is some a, company to keep. That's a very esteemed list of competitors right there. Yeah, Leandro, for me, is um, he's still going to be he's going to be one of the greatest of all time. And, and he doesn't necessarily have the consistency in his results like some of these guys. You know, Roger and Bouchesha were almost untouchable. So was Malfasini. And the last couple of years have been really up and down for Leandro, which is why, for me, the fact that Leandro has battled through such adversity over the last three, four years... He's had many, many championships where he's walked away with nothing. He's had some really disappointing results. But, but he never lost faith that he always believed that he could do this. And I love that he said, he wrote this on social media afterwards. He said, it never crossed his mind to give up. And there are no limits for those who do things with love. 
It's not the best or the most prepared, per- <laughs> the most prepared person who wins, but who's most willing. And falling down, but getting back up is the most wonderful feeling in his life. Well, we have a quick interview with Leandro as well. Let's play this quickly. Ah, estou muito feliz com o meu oitavo título. Ainda mais de várias derrotas, vários tempos difíceis aí para mim. Mas na vida você nunca pode desistir, estar sempre em frente e acreditar no seu potencial e na sua garra. É, hoje eu estava me sentindo muito bem e foi uma energia muito boa. Tava tudo desde o começo do campeonato muito bom e foi maravilhoso. Parece que você voltou. Eu me sinto que eu estou de volta, minha cabeça está normal de novo, igual antes. Passei pelos momentos difíceis de cabeça, mas agora está tudo de novo de volta, e graças a Deus. I love it. I love the energy. I love the big smile on his face because, you know, Leandro is one of the greatest guys in jiu-jitsu. Uh, if you've ever met him or, or been around him, he does have this just this incredible aura that he really does. He loves jiu-jitsu. He's a very simple guy from a very simple background, you know. And uh, and if he didn't have jiu-jitsu, who knows what he would be doing. But he loves it. He pours every ounce of himself into it and the results speak for themselves. He actually had a pretty tough run as well because his first match against Rafael de Sanjos, you know, one of the lowest seeded competitors in the bracket, okay, uh, won that one by submission. But then he had to beat 2020 Pan champion Andre Porfirio in his second elimination match. He had to take out the Portuguese grappler, the European champion this year, Bruno Lima, in his quarterfinal, and then, excuse me, in the semifinal, and then the, the final there against Isaac Baienz, who, as we know, is a powerhouse, very elusive, very no- notoriously difficult to score on. And Isaac is a middleweight world champion and a multiple-time silver medalist. That... That is a tough run. I think Leandro proved that there's there's life in the old dog yet. Yeah, he he absolutely looked like it. Like I said, the most energetic I've seen Leandro in, in a while. Yeah, for me, I think it was a great performance to erase the the memories of that disappointing quarterfinal loss that he had last year's World Championships, and you know reclaiming his spot at the top of the podium. And uh, yeah, the king is back. I love to see it. Okay, so I think the uh, the last big story from making history at the World Championships, uh, we've talked obviously about Mika becoming the youngest, about Marigali taking his first absolute world title, uh, Gabby Pisania, double gold, Leandro Lowe, eighth world title. It's time to talk about Fionn Davis and Isaac Duerdlin because two non-Brazilian champions at the IBJJF World Championships. We always love to see it. And uh, Fionn made history as the first ever British born black belt to win the IBJJF World Championships. And Isaac, correct me if I'm wrong, sixth, sixth American male to win gold? That's correct. Wow, there you go. So, Fionn, let's play this little clip of her match because this match against uh, Janaina Libre, I just cannot believe how she did not get submitted early in this match, Corey. That knee bar was locked on. Oh, it was, it was so fierce. I was across the uh, across the room during this, and I could see I could see the knee bar and how extended it was. Uh, uh, Janine impressed me too, uh, but of of any Europe uh, of any English. Uh, excuse me, of any British grappler um, <laughs> we, we've ever seen. Fionn was probably the one most likely to do it, right? There's she, the knee bar. Look at that. Full extension. I have no idea how she didn't tap to that, but she got out. And she had to weather the storm as well because Janaine was just throwing attack after attack at her. Yeah, absolutely. She she, she came out um, like, like the underdog that... Um, 
had nothing to lose in this match, and she was she was throwing the kitchen sink at, at Fion. But Fion, already a European champion, already a Brazilian national champion, already a Pan champion, and now of course a world champion. Oh, that is huge. Of course, you know that is the the, the result spread over a couple of years of competition, but. Uh, yeah, a resume, very, very impressive resume. And she's going to be back in action at ADCC in September as well. So let's hear from Fionn because we have a little interview with her you picked up straight off the podium. Let's hear what she had to say. Hi, Davis. Hi. You are the first ever UK-born champion. Yeah. <laughs> How does that sound? Um, I was like a big goal of mine to just to do it in general. Um, I didn't really know if it would happen for me because I just know so many people who are amazing who haven't won a world championship. You know, it just misses out on that day. It's, it's like so there's conscious. so many good people. <laughs> it sometimes it just doesn't come for you. So I'm just really grateful. And that's just such a huge bonus and hopefully pushes forward uh, UK Jiu-Jitsu. So. Rightfully a really emotional moment for you. What, what was going through your head on the mat in the final there? Um, I was just trying to keep my head clear, just listen to JT, um, just listen to the instructions and, uh, and not think much past that. But then it's like that relief once, once it's over, you're like, oh my God, it's, it's done. And uh, especially when I had the two, I was like, like something's going to go wrong. She had a knee bar that hit. Um, <laughs> my knee's like, ooh, <laughs> feels a bit dodgy there. But uh, no, I'm just so happy. Yeah, I'm happy too, you know, as a... It's a Welshman, you know, it's great to see a countryman on top of the podium at the IBJF World Championships. Never thought I'd see it, to be honest. We're a very small nation, only 3 million people, and there's very few high-level black belts out there representing the uh, the Red Dragons. So awesome to see it. Thank you very much, Fionn. Let's talk about Isaac, because Isaac's performance, I mean, this was a long time coming. He's been grinding for years and finally claimed that top spot. Yeah, Isaac has competed at so many World Championships, uh, but this was, believe it or not, his very first final. Yeah, he's, uh, he's hit the podium, but yeah. never made it into the final. And, uh, well, this is the final moments of his match with Diego Sodre, his opponent. And, I mean, the emotion on Isaac's face mm-hmm. says it all. Because he's been a black belt for a long time now, 29 years of age. And by no means a uh, spring chicken, you know. He's been out there, he's been hustling, he's been working hard. And I feel like sometimes, you know, these competitors that... There's definitely the doubt that must creep into their minds. You know, what am I doing here? I'm getting closer to master's age. You know, how much longer do I have? Can I do it? And yes, he can. And he went out there and he showed it. Isaac actually made a a post about this either yesterday or this morning that he started to doubt that this day would ever come. Um, Fortunately for him and and a credit to him that it did. But in this championship, he had to face through a gauntlet of of some rivals, some real people, some people that have been thorns in his side over the last couple of years, including both both the Sodre brothers and Sam Nagai, who... who, uh, handedly beat him at the 2020 uh, Pan Championship. Yeah. And the Saudi brothers who he's been dealing with and struggling against for the last two years. Yeah, that's a that's a very interesting point right there. I think it is um, Isaac, man. He looked, he looked on another level. Because when he was competing, uh, one of his best weapons, one of his best attacks is that notorious footlock that he has, right? That straight footlock that he does so well. And I'm thinking of two matches in particular in this run alone, in this gold medal performance... Because he had to beat, as you mentioned, Alexandro Sodre in a quarterfinal match. Uh, he also beat Diego Sodre in the final. Both of those were on points. But the match, the, the semifinal against Nagai, Sam Nagai, and uh, the elimination match against Israel uh, Souza of GF Team. Man, Isa just unleashed the full power of that ankle lock. 
Yeah, he. I mean, it, you can see on the faces of the people he beat that he he used us against it. That footlock is devastating. It um, really is. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the guy was carried off the mat as a result, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think it is he does differently that gets that makes it so special? Uh, you know, I've, I've been studying this footlock for a while. And <laughs> I, can't, I can't I can't figure it out. But the bite that he gets on the ankle and the amount of uh, the amount of elevation that he puts on he gets the foot off of the mat. I think puts a lot of extra extension behind the foot mm. into the foot. Definitely like to study that. Uh, definitely like to get some tips from Isaac about how he makes it so powerful. It's mm. it's next level. Next level really is. Okay, so um, that's it for now. Let's uh, before we go on to the next moment, uh, the next uh, 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 section, which is standout moments from Worlds. Uh, I wanted to just respond to a couple of the comments in the YouTube chat here because we got some watch, uh, some viewers here. And uh, Renee Souza, our WNX competitor, wanted to know if there were any buggy jokes at Worlds. I didn't see any. Did you? I saw a couple thrown up in the early days. I didn't stick around to see if any got finished. I didn't see any finished. I definitely saw a couple of attempts, but nothing that was made me thought, oh wow. I did. Yeah, didn't see any, unfortunately. Um, who else we got? We got here. Oh, Alex mentioned about Gabby Pisania that when she was a uh, purple belt, she he says, I saw her destroying people at purple belt without even opening her mouth. That's actually a very interesting observation because when Gabby competes, she is just stone-faced. Mm-hmm. And it's true. She competes with her mouth closed and you just really see any kind of exertion or anything, uh, but she lets it all out and she wins, right? She Absolutely. always gives that, that moment, that big joyful moment at the end. Uh, Brad Taylor says that Tynan was spot on and dominant. That's a very good way to describe it. You want a job? <laughs> yeah, that was that was very very accurate. And uh, also mentions that Mika was amazing, uh, but Merigali was disappointing on Sunday. He seemed hurt. Yes, he was very severely hurt. So the rib injuries almost took him out of the entire tournament. Um, Alex asks, "Is it Merigali mainly focusing on Nogi nowadays?" Well, he will be again after this. He'll be taking the gi off and will be head down training for ADCC. But no, he's bouncing, he's bouncing around between the two. Cool. All right. So let's go on to talk about some of the standout moments from the World Championships. You can see we've got a couple more topics to go through, and we'll try to move through these quickly. But we've got a um, uh, we've got to touch on the the sort of the war, the growing, the escalation between the two teams because a lot of people talked about this. It's about alliance and dream art so they basically went to war at the world championships and apparently it didn't start here so things were pretty civil between them pretty respectful between them at the last world championships in december now just to give you some context dream art were a part of alliance and they broke away in around about october of last year to become their own independent team and since then they faced off a competition now december at the world championships everything seemed fine apparently things kind of started getting a little bit chippy at the Brasileiros, the Brazilian National Championships. And they really came to a head here at the World Championships on day one. Yeah, it, uh, very first couple of matches at Blue Belt. And th- this here, what we're looking at is the very first final between the teams, The uh, I believe the featherweight final. And they're shoulder to shoulder in the stands. You can see Mario Hayes, uh, Michael Lange, and a lot of the big names there from Alliance literally stood next to Carlos Enrique, Rui Alves, Isaac Baez from Dream Arts. They they literally right next to each other, and things got heated. It, they definitely did. It was contentious at moments. It was uh, uncomfortably tense at others, um, and, and it's it's kind of unusual, right? Because a lot of the the athletes are, are friendly because they've they've grown up together, um, but some of the the team heads are a little bit more. Um, there's a little bit of a thicker rivalry between the, the team leaders. It goes deep. 
And um, there were some accusations thrown back and forth between the alliance. You know, some of those guys were saying like, well, you know, dream art by athletes. And, and then, you know, you had some of the dream art representatives saying nobody bought me, but, you know, but they changed my life. And it was a, there was a lot of like, it was a real war of words. It started at the tournament. It, it boiled over onto social media. It's still going on now, to be honest. Things have by no means settled down. You open up the Instagram pages of people like Mario Hayes, Isaac Baez, Fabio Gurgel, any of the kind of the big names from those teams. And, you know, it's still, you can definitely tell there's no resolution here. Um, and things definitely got uncomfortable at certain times, but uh, hopefully that rivalry will will simmer back down and, and stay professional and, and stay fine because uh, we don't want to see it boil over. It should take place on the mats. And when it does take place on the mats, it's it's impressive, right? Because Alliance yeah. uh, Alliance took home the the team trophy, but DreamArt took home second. Their yeah. their second year. I mean, even still technically in their first year as a team, they're second worlds and they're on the podium. So. Uh, Let's talk about some of the first-time world champions at the uh, the World Championships because um, there were a, a number of returning champions. We'll mention those in, the, in a moment. But there are some, of course, who, for the first time in their careers, they claimed the gold medal at the Worlds, which is a huge, huge achievement, for, a dream, I would say, for pretty much any grappler. And we'll start off with talking about Bianca Basilio because Bianca, could you believe it? She'd never won the world title. She a multiple-time silver medalist and an ADCC champion, Pan champion, European champion, Brazilian national champion. She claimed her first world gold medal. Yeah, this was her fourth or fifth. We couldn't figure it out exactly. Her fourth or fifth final um, at, at Worlds, and yet her first gold, and she was elated to finally have achieved that. Some other first-time world champions include Larissa uh, Diaz, um, who, representing a rather unknown, rather small team, MJN Jiu-Jitsu, she came through and she beat Rafaela Geddes, uh, in the heavyweight final, uh, Rafael Geddes, of course, of Atos and uh, Larissa, a rookie black belt. Yeah, that's right. Um, and also in that bracket, of course, the the reigning heavyweight champion, uh, Melissa Cueto. So, uh, not an easy division to get through. No, not at all. Mayram Alves of DreamArt, he actually had to face off with his teammate Diego Pato in the final of the light featherweight division. But Mayram, as you can see here in this white gi, uh, he took the gold. And um, I think that's a, that, that's probably a, a small redemptive, redemptive moment for him because he was uh, eliminated from the tournament last year by Pato in the earlier rounds. Before they were teammates even. Right. But now facing off as teammates, of course, they had to put that to one side with the the of course the no closeouts now at the world championships and um and yeah they they put it on the line he took that one by points and then the last one that we wanted to uh, of course we mentioned earlier fion and isaac but of course talison suarez as well claimed his first ibjjf gold medal as a black belt and man he's got quite the collection there right yeah what a resume for him he uh, he has won now world uh, gi and no gi at every single belt level believe he's the first one ever to do that so blue purple brown and black belt world champion in both gi and no gi tournaments that is incredible that is really really special and talison um maybe you know worth pointing out as well that he made a little switch in his uh, in his training for this world championships went to uh, art of jiu-jitsu in costa Mesa, trained with the mendez brothers in preparation for this and went home with a gold medal gonna go back to australia with that around his neck yeah very happy indeed mr talison suarez is now <laughs> known all right cool uh, let's talk about some of the returning champions uh there were of course you know um many great grapplers uh that we know and love 
and uh, and they all came back and they defended their titles. We'll start off. We'll just go in alphabetical order, shall we? Anna Carolina Vieira, five-time f- world champion, fifth world title. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely impressive. That that puts her among some of the most successful uh, female black belts ever. Anna Carolina Vieira of Aviv Jiu Jitsu, another. Uh, Multiple-time world champion now is Anna Rodriguez, much younger, uh, the Dream Art representative, claimed her second IBJJF World Gold Medal in as many years. She took the gold in December just last year as well. So that also now gives her the full spread. She is a uh, pan-European, Brazilian national and world champion in different years, but uh, across all of them. And A-Rod there is teasing a move to featherweight as well. Oh, she's going to go up. Yeah, that's right. Next up, Andressa Sintra of Gracie Baja. Andressa, two-time world champion. Three-time. Three, three three time. sequential world champions, 19, 21, and 22. Wow, of course, we missed 2020, but she now wins three IBJF world gold medals in a row. That is super impressive. Then we're going to go back. Eric Muniz, who we uh, we talked a little about earlier. So he won the super heavyweight gold medal. Again, consecutive world championships. Uh, silver in the absolute. But this <laughs> photo right here, he basically is so cool, right? He... Won the gold medal, got his hand raised, and immediately his brother Anderson Moniz gave him a box and uh, threw it onto him in the middle of the mat, and he ran over, dropped to one knee, and proposed to his fiancée. So congratulations there. She said yes, by the way. That might be a, f- a first ever at world to see that happen on the mat. Uh, Kainan Duarte of Atos returns. Again, a multiple-time world champion. Kind of making it look easy, uh, but... With the exception, I would say, of his final against Demetrius Souza. Demetrius, uh, a very, very tough representative of Alliance, but Kainan, still head and shoulders, ruling that heavyweight division. And then Maisa Bastos taking her third world title. As you can see, she's got her fingers up. Thank you very much, Maisa, for telling us. <laughs> but again, just untouchable. That roosterweight division is hers. Oh, another note about Maisa Bastos that, that makes it uh, four consecutive majors this year for Maisa. Uh, won Euros, won Pans, won Brasileiros, and now won Worlds. The Grand Slam, one might call it. Incredible performance there from Maisa Bastos. And finally, we'll cap it off with Tynan. Tynan Dalpra of Art of Jiu-Jitsu just looked flawless. His submission against Andy Murasaki in the final was something else. That that lapel choke from side control, a real fundamental move from uh, just a, a very old school kind of jujitsu, but that heavy pressure and then the side control choke, thing of beauty. Tynan, man, I struggle to see who's going to beat him in that middleweight division. Of course, Mika Galvao teased a, a move up to middleweight next year, possibly medium heavy, he said. But uh, yeah, Tynan is looking head and shoulders above everybody else in the middleweight division right from, now. From the start of the week until the end of the week, Tynan looked like everybody else was moving in slow motion. Yeah. He just really, like, he seemed to have been able to predict the future on his opponents. It was incredible to watch. Just a step ahead, really is. Uh, let's talk about the closeouts then, because we, we briefly touched on this. So the closeouts rule, in case you, uh, you aren't aware, at the, the World Championships, they changed the rules a little bit so that any teammates closing out in the final would forfeit prize money and ranking points as a result because uh, the ranking points go to the end of season where there's a chance to win $10,000. And uh, depending on the size of the division, it was anything from, sort of, you know, around about $7,000 for most men's black belt divisions, for example. And uh, and if there was a closeout in the final, well, there would be no prize money because you've got to fight to get the prize money. So I was given a little tip, actually, that Fabio Gurgel, because uh, we noticed this, that the Alliance guys weren't closing out at all in any of the color belt divisions. And the reason being, Fabio Gurgel said, you guys have got to get used to it. You're not going to close out anymore. So I asked Fabio, what's up with that? 
Take a listen, hear what he had to say. Well, trying to, you know, trying to change the culture that's pretty old. Right, you know, so everybody's got used to it, you know. And I think uh, from the, the school perspective, it's not a problem to close the brackets. You know, it's our, our job's done. We put the two best guys in the division, we close out, all good. But we understand that in the black belt scenario, when we when we are we want to attract more people to watch. And then we need uh, more people on the, on, the, on, the, on the crowd, we need more media to cover and and more sponsors. So we understand that how can we we get that point without having fights. Right? So uh, we are just you know changing the culture to give a chance for some kind of professionalism. I like it. I like it. I gotta say, I think that Alliance have always been right there in the cutting edge of jiu-jitsu, and this is a huge step, a huge step towards, as Fabio said, changing the culture of jiu-jitsu. And I think that uh, many other teams would do well to follow their example. The, uh, the last big story, I would say, from the World Championships, a standout moment indeed. This was uh, a bittersweet, but of course, really te- it was a really special moment as well, was that uh, two legends hung up their belts and announced their retirement from the IBJJF World Championships. They are, of course, Shanji Hibero and Rafael Lovato Jr. of Six Blades Jiu-Jitsu. And uh, we have a small video you can play here of, of Shanji and Lovato. But this is, um, it, was, it was kind of, it's sad to see when you've got guys like this, you know. They are sort of such amazing figures within the sport. But at the same time, it's... Uh, I just want to say thanks to both these guys for everything they've done for jiu-jitsu, really. They've, they've been there for so long, you know, at the, the, top, the top of the game. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. It's sad. it's sad to see it, but every, all good things have to come to an end. Yeah, both these guys are just inspirational figures. Of course, they're not retiring from grappling, right? They're no. retiring from oh. the IBJJF world, both of them invited to ADCC later on this year. Uh, but really... Uh, inspirational figures in jiu-jitsu and, and leaving, a, leaving a legacy on the mat, but also uh, producing future world champions and current world champions. Um, you know, we, we uh, talked about returning world champions, one of, one of whom is their prodigy, Victor Hugo. Right, yeah. So there is still somebody holding it down for six plates. And uh, Victor Hugo, who just took his second IBJJF world title, will be carrying on the legacy of Lovato and Shanji Hibero. Yeah. Really uh, touching moment to see both those guys. They really left it all on the mats. Lovato, of course, don't forget that he took out Herbert Santos in his opening <laughs> match of the division. And, uh, and that, that's no joke. To, to take out somebody as dangerous as that, Lovato, you know, at the sort of, um, stage in his career, showed that he still got it. But he already made the decision ahead of time that, that if he were to lose at the World Championships, that he would let everybody know, okay, I'm moving on. So special moment indeed. Well, that's it from our update about the IBJJF World Championships. I do want to respond quickly to the YouTube commenter, Spudink, who says that even more inspiring than Tynan's performance is the fact that he was back the very next day in the gym helping teach the kids' classes. Hmm. Wow. That is truly special. That is champ stuff right there. Love to hear it. Really do. Well, it's also, let's not forget, ADCC season. That's coming up in September later this year. We've got some updates for you. 
We've got some updates for ADCC, but before we dive into that, let's talk quickly about the ADCC competitors who were in action at the World Championships, because there were many of them. Now, I did a list on the site of all the, AG, all the ADCC competitors who competed at Worlds this weekend. There were 28 of them, 28, including 22 men, six women, 14 trials winners, three returning ADCC champions, and of those 28, there were 25 black belts, one brown belt, and two purple belts. So let's just run through some of the results very, very quickly. Uh, among the colored belts, Kolobate uh, closed out his division with his teammate Gustavo Agoa, uh, purple belt featherweight, I believe. Correct. Awesome missions on the way up. Wow. Giovanna Jara of Dreamart, purple belt, took double gold and got promoted to, promoted to brown belt on the podium. Uh, it's pretty special. Elder Cruz took gold in the heavyweight division of the brown belt male um, division. And yeah, that's pretty incredible. Elder, there. by the way, now officially a black belt. He was promoted yesterday. Oh, I didn't see that. Congratulations, El Monstro, brand new black belt. Oh, I love that. I love to hear it. Well, let's run through some of the uh, the more successful competitors. Um, Mika Galval, of course, is, uh, is gonna be going to the 77 kilogram division. He took gold. Uh, who else we got here? Uh, Tyro Tolo, his opponent in that, of course, took silver. He's going to be competing in the 88-kilogram division. Uh, also speaking about champions, Kainan Duarte uh, is going to be in the under-99-kilogram division. He took gold in the heavyweight. Nicholas Merigali is gonna, also going to be in that division. Absolute champion. Victor Hugo, champion in the ultra-heavyweight is going to be in the uh, over 99 kilogram division in September. And then you've got a number of guys as well who did pretty well and, uh, and are gonna, they made the podium at Worlds, like Gutenberg Pereira, trials winner. He's gonna be at ADCC in September, silver in the, in the uh, ultra heavyweight division. Bianca Basilio, of course, she's a returning ADCC champion, just took gold at Worlds. She'll be back in September. Fion will be in that division as well, as will Misa Bastos. You've got three IBJJF World Champions <laughs> from this weekend. It's going to be at ADCC. In the same division, no less. Yeah. We also mentioned Giona Vajara already. Amy Campo, um, silver medalist in the absolute. Rafael Aguedi, silver medalist in the heavyweight. They're both in the women's heavyweight divisions. It just goes to show for me that there's still a healthy amount of people who do both gi and no gi and are able to compete at the highest levels successfully. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, it, it all goes to, to show that, you know, some, some people have the game, right, that is not rule or attire specific, right? They, they, can, they can play jujitsu for jujitsu's sake no matter uh, what the conditions are. The best in the world are the best in the world, whether it's gi or no gi. Uh, I love it. I love to see it. I'm really, uh, really happy to see that so many high-level competitors are competing in both uh, both formats, and and hopefully that trend will continue. You don't necessarily need to be a specialist to be successful in one or the other. It is possible to do both. Let's talk about some lineup changes for September. So the 66-kilogram division has had a little bit of shuffling around. We've got a couple of names out, and we've got one name back in. Bring it up so you can see. Ryan Hall is out. Knee surgery. Mikey Musumnichi is also out. Had appendicitis and just had to have his appendix out last week or a week before. And it's going to take him a while to come back and train for that. So who slides in? Who's in the mix? Only ADCC 2017 silver medalist AJ Agazam, as you can see right in the middle there. 
done with his MMA career for now, coming back to the world of grappling, was there at the uh, World Championships over the weekends, competed in the featherweight division, and he's going to be mixing it up with uh, the ADCC crew in September. Yeah, he had a great showing too at uh, West Coast Trials, right? He climbed his way all the way to the second day uh, before falling to, to PJ Barsh, but... Um, a heavier weight class. That's right, and AJ... You know, a, a silver medalist, as you mentioned, he, he deserves to be there. Say what you want about AJ Agazam, and people say a lot because he uh, elicits very strong reactions. <laughs> but you got to respect him. AJ is as tough as they come. He has the credentials and the experience in ADCC. Competed in 2013, 15, 17, skipped 19 because he was had an MMA fight that very weekend. And he's back now, and he's going to compete in 2022. Very impressive. Uh and then we've got ADCC trials coming up. You want to talk us about that? Tell yeah, us about that. One of uh, the, the only Asian trials this year, this season, uh, and as far as we know, the, the biggest the biggest ADCC Asian trials ever, uh, with a couple of returning champions from last year's Asian and other trials, including uh, Jeremy Skinner, Ben Hodgkinson, um, and uh, even some some uh, stars from B Team, right? Uh, yes, Isaac Michelle. Uh, the the who's number one uh, excuse me who's next cast member um, and Joseph Chen who we've been watching closely who we expected uh, to see do very well and been who, hearing a lot about that kid who did do very well at uh, at the European trials yeah I gotta say I'm uh, I'm very interested to see who comes out of this ADCC trials in uh, in Australia this course is the Oceania excuse me Asia and Oceania regions uh, continental trial and yeah it should be uh, it should be pretty fun. Uh, I even noticed former UFC fighter George Soteropoulos is signed up and in the mix. That's uh, that's interesting. The uh, ADCC brings out all sorts. And um, yeah, let's move on, talk a little bit about more Nogi. Because a couple of weeks ago, we had a really interesting event on Flow Grappling. And we didn't get a chance to talk about it, unfortunately. Uh, it was the Finishers Sub Only event. And we didn't get a chance to break down the results because we were traveling. But the results, oh man, these... This this event was so much so much fun. It was uh, it was one of those events that maybe would um, sort of slide under the radar if you weren't careful about it because it's relatively new to our platform. But finishers sub only have been doing great things in that kind of region. They're based in Pennsylvania and they've got sort of affiliate competitions throughout the Midwest and such. And they're really they've developed an amazing platform. Always have been a great platform for up and coming talent in that region and further afield in the Nogi scene. And they had a very interesting quintet style team event with a little bit of a twist. But basically what a quintet is, it's when it stays on. So teams of five and they go up against each other and then if there's a if there's a winner, they stay on and face the next guy as long as they're able to. If there's a draw, both guys go out and the next team members come in. And I mean it was really, really fun and there were some amazing results, some incredible submissions. There was not one, but there were I think there was two or possibly even three buggy chokes. But um the standout names from this particular event were standard jiu-jitsu. Mm. So standard jiu-jitsu, you may know them. We've had representatives of their uh, team on who's number one in the past, Alex Wynn, for example. But the, uh, the team of Gavin Corbe, DeAndre Corbe, Romero Jimenez, uh, all these guys, man, they were, they were just out there. They were killing it. And uh, it's, it's, it's so cool to see up-and-comers like this on a really, really exciting show like this and just putting it all on the line. 
Yeah, the, the Corbett brothers look great. And the thing I, I like about the Quintet style in general is that it brings chaos, right? <laughs> People who should not or who generally would not be submitted get submitted. Uh, we get to see a lot of submissions. Um, for example, Esteban Martinez had a great submission in his first round and got buggy choked in the second <laughs> round. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, we'll kick it over to Zach, actually, Zach Maslani, all finishes for a little uh, a little breakdown of the best of the action. Take it away, Zach. All right, last week it all went down. The finisher Survivor Series 2 was our second team matchup. The energy in the room was insane. The first team matchup was crazy. Team SoFlo plus Z versus the Honey Badgers. It was a back-and-forth matchup. Uh, in that team matchup, uh, Anthony Molina Valdez hit a buggy choke. It was one of two buggy chokes, and the crowd went berserk. Throughout the whole thing, even with the uh, super fights, there was uh, no OTs, no EBOIOTs, only all submissions. The second buggy choke came in the finals. It was J-Rod. Uh, he picked up another buggy choke, and it was kind of like from full guard. It was crazy, so you got to go back and watch it. I'm sure you guys are running the replay of that right now. Trinity Pun defended her 135-pound uh, title, and uh, she ended up finishing a submission from guard. There were so many standouts, so many people in the team tournament. There were so many submissions. Uh, one person I want to definitely hi highlight is uh, Sid Tavolaro. He took out almost a whole squad, had like three or four submissions. I think he had five subs on the day. Definitely got to highlight the Corbray brothers. Team Standard Jiu-Jitsu ended up taking the finals over Team 5 guys. Greg Souders uh, coaching over there. He was screaming. He was yelling. He was getting everybody fired up. If you guys don't know about the Corbray brothers, you got to look them up. Gavin and DeAndre. DeAndre is our 145-pound champion right now. Man, they were taking out teams. They were taking out people in a row. Um, and like I said, all submissions, regulation. So thank you guys for watching the Survivor Series. I hope you guys enjoyed it. But the team matchup was fired. Definitely go back and watch this thank you guys yeah we got the replays on flowgrappling.com absolutely go back and check out survivor series 2 uh some amazing results you saw some of the best moments right there including jay rod's buggy choke from the closed guard phenomenal just when you thought that he couldn't make it any more spectacular he pulls that one out yeah it, it's it's really incredible watching after seeing what happened on who's next to j-rod right seeing what his uh specialty has become right he, he lost to the buggy choke in the very first round of who's next and then went on to win adcc trials with it and then it seems to be diversifying that technique from all sorts of positions. Look out. Jiu-Jitsu is evolving so quickly. Incredible. Absolutely incredible stuff. And just one more time, big shout-out Standard Jiu-Jitsu for absolutely killing it at Survivor Series. Also, last weekend, there was the uh, there was the Zach Edwards uh, Memorial match as well. Andrew Tackett taking the win there in the super fight in the main event via arm triangle choke. Doing great things there. Thanks a lot, Zach, for sending over the recap video. I'm sure there'll be much more, uh, many more interesting events coming soon from the finisher Sabonis team. Our last thing that we want to talk about quickly, just upcoming events here on Flow Grappling. There are many. Uh, we already mentioned ADCC trials, among others. But let's talk about uh, the EUG promotions because they're back. Now, these guys have made a uh, name for themselves in Las Vegas as hosting some really fantastic, really interesting uh, GP events, invitationals, Grand Prix, featuring the best black belts. And they put together this nice little 180-pound tournament, Corey. Yeah, this is a, a great tournament. We see here standouts like Ronaldo Jr., world silver medalist, uh, Jackson Nagai, Manuel Hibamar, Lucas Gualberto, and many other uh, tough talents in that 180-pound division. Yeah, just keep that graphic, graphic up for a second. We've got, as you mentioned, there's the uh, Pan and World 
silver medalist, no, not world, excuse me, world bronze medalist, uh, pan-silver medalist, Ronaldo Jr., uh, pan-silver medalist, Jackson Nagai, European champ, Manuel Hibamar, and uh, a couple of other very, very tough competitors indeed. Uh, Alexandre de Jesus, a.k.a. Jorbinho, is uh, also an ADCC trials winner. So you've got a real mix of competitors there, and that's going to be an eight-man bracket. Goes down 11th of June in Las Vegas. You can watch it here on Flow Grappling. Well, that's it for today's show, guys. There was a lot. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the IBJJF World Championships. I know that we did. It was really a fantastic event. We enjoyed it so much. It was so much fun, and it was just great to be back in the pyramid. Really special energy. And, um, yeah, just I think that the IBJJF, the season, is kind of back to normal now. Later on this year, we'll also have... IBJJF World Nogi, Pan Nogi, Masters Worlds in September is going to be uh, a big one as well. And we also have some special IBJJF Flow Grappling Grand Prix events. What is that? Well, we haven't really announced it just yet. Still in the mix. But what I can tell you is this. If you're a fan of who's number one, then you're going to love this. Because it's basically going to be IBJJF Grand Prix in the Gi, but with the whole who's number one production and spectacular effort into making it a really, really cool event. You're going to love it. It's going to help take Gi Jiu-Jitsu to the next level. It's going to feature some really, really interesting names and some really compelling matches. I think after the World Championships, there's so many cool matches to make. Shouldn't have any problem in finding some good athletes for that. That's pretty much it from us. Myself, Hal Teague, Corey Stockton. We'll see you in a couple of weeks' time back for future episodes of Grappling Bulletin. Until then, take it easy.